Welcome to Activate Church Podcast, and thanks for listening. We hope this message helps you, and we pray that God speaks to you through this week's message. So we are finishing tonight our very last week, and we've been working through, if you joined us for the first time, uh, if you're a guest here, uh, we've been working through the book of First John, and we've been working through this for the past four weeks. And uh, John is an awesome guy. He is, uh, I reckon he, he is as close as you can get to an Aussie in the Bible. You know why? Because John is, uh, he is so authentic. You know what Australian people love? We love people that are authentic. We love people that just tell you like it is. And John does that very well. Sometimes too well. In fact, I'm not even sure if I'm a Christian after reading most of this, but he challenges us so much because he seriously sets the standards so high. And so his challenge to all of us is that, you know what, are we going to be real with our faith? And uh, if you hear and and if you believe that you're a Christian, then what John is really saying to us is you got to be real with your faith. So what we're going to do tonight, we're going to read a bit of scripture. If you don't like reading, leave it to me. So I'm going to read for you. This is what it says in uh, 1 John chapter 5. It says, everyone, who's it to? That was good. Everyone who believes that Jesus Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. Whoa. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. That might have been a surprise to some of you all. Uh, But they're not, trust me. It said, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So he kind of makes us a promise there about overcoming the world. Here's what it's based on. It says, This is He who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, and not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. Now, if you don't know what that is, don't worry, I'm going to explain it to you later. It says, and the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. It says, if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater, for this is the testimony of God that He has borne concerning His Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in Himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son does not have life. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We pray that tonight you speak to us through it. Lord, I pray that we have our hearts open. And Lord, you're saying a lot of things to us through your scriptures. I pray that you give us the ability to hear and to acknowledge and to understand. And God, even 
maybe if we recognize some things that may not be right in our life, God, would you give us the courage tonight to just change some things about us? We came with the idea that we want to be open to being changed by you and changed by your presence. Tonight, I pray that that very thing would happen and that we would be changed by your presence. We invite you to do this because we love you and we want to know you, as we sang earlier. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know what? Life can sometimes be a bit of a challenge. Sometimes life feels overwhelming. Just ask my kids. Yesterday they were playing Xbox, Marvel Lego game. And uh, they got through a few levels and they forgot to save it and the game froze. Yeah, 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 I know. Life's tough. And, 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 and that, was, that was pretty bad, except my son Isaac, he has a, a Hulk onesie, right? And, uh, and he, which is kind of funny because Isaac is skinny and little, and uh, he has a Hulk onesie. And so last night, uh, he was trying to put his arm into the sleeve, but it was still inside out from the night before. And when he couldn't get his arm in, he basically became the Hulk. Here's my point. Life is really hard, you know. Life is tough. It's actually kind of crazy because you see kids, right, they have meltdowns over small things. But you know what? Every day, you just get older and new things come, don't they? I mean, when you get older, you know what comes? Bills. You know, I mean, bills, they come. And they come every month. I don't take a break. Uh, bills are there every month. And my mortgage, it, 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 it is Paid every two weeks, you know, I have to pay that. And if you're not paying a mortgage, you're paying rent. And if you're over 18, I'm certain you're paying rent to your parents because that's what you do, right? Yeah, I thought so. Actually, there's all kinds of things that can happen. When you become a parent, you've got kids. Kids cost money. I've got school fees. I've got basketball uniforms to pay for. I've got swimming like fees. You know, like 160 bucks a month to teach the kids how to swim. It's like, man, and they just keep stacking up. And do you know that they eat like every day? I know. It's like my kids eat every day. So that, I mean, that kind of costs sort of more money than that as well. We've got exams. Any of your 12 students here? Couple. We got exams. You have bosses. If you've got a job, you've, you've got a boss. Hopefully they're good. If they're not, just add that to the list. You've got bosses. You've got jobs. You've got responsibilities. You've got church. And sometimes when all of these things are just sort of like piling up on top of each other, doesn't it just sometimes feel like life can be a little bit complicated it feels like, and, and I've had this moment before where I suddenly go, I have a lot to do. I feel a little bit overwhelmed. Have you ever heard the phrase, man, that guy looks like the weight of the world is upon his shoulders. That's what happens when you feel overwhelmed. There's a lot of navel gazing. There's a lot of checking out your shoelaces because you feel the weight of the world and you're just sort of like, you know, hunched over and, and feeling, just feeling that weight, feeling that pressure. Let me tell you about the time I felt the weight, all right? I'd never been to the gym before. I was uh, 18. And I walked in with my buddy, and uh, I said, I'm interested in joining the, the gym. And they said, all right. They said, just go right on through. Now, they don't let you do that uh, anymore because someone will have to give you a guided tour. But on this occasion, they did. 
Now, I kind of overestimated my strength and I underestimated the weight. So I hopped on this bench press and I looked at the weights and I thought, I can lift that. I got underneath, underneath it and I lifted it to like one or two centimeters just to get it off the, off the you know, things that hold it there. And I, I lifted it off, right? And let me tell you, I was crushed by that weight. As it came down, I mean full-on, embarrassingly loud, like making noises, legs moving, but body stuck and pinned. And I called out for my friends, hey, mate, you got to come get me, right? Because it was crushing, right? I thought maybe bench press wasn't my thing, so I went over to the cable crossovers. I got a bench press, I got the bench out, and I laid down. And, and if you don't know, if you don't go to the gym, cable crossovers, you have two handles, and they're attached to cables and and then and then you you work out your chest like this all right you like that yeah I got nothing so so anyway I'm lying down and I go to move them together and the clipgate carabiner they click together and they didn't come apart and again for the second time I'm trapped all over again and I called my friend. I'm like, oh, man, something funny's happened with this. I can't get them apart, you know. And so he comes over, and he is laughing so hard at me. He says, I have never seen anyone do anything like you. Are, like, you shouldn't even be allowed here, you know. And so I couldn't get them apart. And I was like, I mean, I signed up anyway, you know. It was like a terrible experience. But the thing is, is that I was pinned. I was crushed. I don't know if you know what it feels like to be pinned or crushed. But when you do feel that weight of the world, when you feel like things are crushing you, the truth is you feel like giving up. When things feel like they're pressing in all around you and they're pressing in on top of you, I reckon that's the closest you feel to giving up. You're at the mercy. Have you ever felt like you're at the mercy of your situation? Have you ever felt just helpless? Like there's nothing you can do. Like there's no right answer here. Have you ever felt completely overwhelmed by the world and circumstances and life? And it just, you know what? Life just feels complicated. One of the things I love most about John, he takes complicated things and he makes them very simple. He says, I'm going to make things so easy for you. And the thing about John is he says, life is simple. This is the guy who got boiled alive in oil for his faith and walked away to tell the story. I'm going to believe that he has something of value to teach me because anyone that can be boiled alive in oil for his faith and walk away and tell the story and write this letter after watching all of his friends be murdered. I mean, this is a guy, he writes about the subject of love on such a deep level. I'm like, I want to know what it is that John has to say. I've got something that I can learn from this guy. Here is something that Jesus said. He said, take heart, I have overcome the world. In the passage we read, he actually said that he that is born of God will overcome the world. There's a couple of times that Jesus says he's going to overcome the world. I don't know about you, but I have felt the feeling. I have felt the feeling, if that's possible. I felt the feeling of being overwhelmed. I want to know how to access the kind of stuff that Jesus is talking about. I want to know how to access what John is actually writing about. I'm going to clue you into something today that is going to start to simplify life 
for you. It's going to simplify what you're reading, all right? Are you ready for this? This is so good. God's promises are actually attached to Him. God's promises are attached to Him. You can't access God's promises around Him. You can't access the kind of stuff that He promises by removing Him from the picture. And you may think that that sounds crazy. And you may think that, who does that? Well, actually, at the time when this letter was written, that is exactly what was happening. People had crept into the church and they were developing systems and processes and they were saying, if you want to get close to God, this is how you do it. They called those people Gnostics. They ascribed to secret information in order to get salvation from God. And they were writing this stuff up. You know what? That's not even so far from Christian people today. You think they sound crazy? How many people do you know that confess to write words with their mouth, but live practically a life that reflects nothing of what they declare with their mouths on Sunday in church? And it happens. Do you know what we call it when somebody is ascribed to a system and a process of getting close to God and removes God from the picture? Do you know what we call that? We have a word for that. We call it religion. And religion is a system and a strategy to gain access to the promises of God and and, and to kind of almost in some sense become the master of your own journey. See, if you begin to strategize and map it out, step one, step two, step three, isn't that what religion is like? It's like, as long as you do this and you do that, then you should be able to get this result. I've got to tell you something tonight that is so important. When it comes to the promises of God, when it comes to accessing the promises of God, you can't go around Him. This is meant to be a relationship. It was never meant to be about a religion. If you want to access the things of God, you've got to actually get close to God. Man, religion is man-made. It's, it's something that people created. And I've got to be honest, I don't have a lot of time for religion. I don't want to listen to the man-made steps and processes that people come up with to charter their own course in life. I want to hear from God. Do you know why? Because in the passage that we just read... It just said that God's testimony was greater than the testimony of men. So I don't really care what people say. I want to know what God says about how I'm to draw near to Him. Now, the cool thing for us is that John goes right on ahead and he explains to us the way that we get close to Him. And he gives us a testimony. And this testimony is what the promise that he makes to us is actually based on. Now, I told you I'd explain this part to you, but it says the water, the blood, and the Spirit, these three agree. What the heck is that about? Seriously, I cannot be the only one that read that for the first time and thought, what? If you were sitting here tonight and you thought, I have no idea where this is going, don't worry because you're probably in really good company. When it talks about the water, it's talking about Jesus' baptism. It's actually pointing back to times in history when God confirmed that His Son was the way to eternal life. It says, at the water. 
the water agrees. Because you know what happened when Jesus was baptized? The Spirit of God came down and it was not a dove, but it was in the form of a dove and they had a voice that came from heaven. And what did it say? It says, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. So it says that the Father was present at that point. It says that the blood agrees. What is that about? Well, it's actually not about Jesus' blood being shed on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. That is also really good. But you know, here's the crazy thing about Jesus' blood. Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. His blood is of divine origin. When the angel came to Mary and said, you're going to have a baby, and she's like, okay, and he's like, and God's going to be the father. She's like, oh, all right. And how is that supposed to happen? Good question. How, much, how is that supposed to happen? And it's kind of funny because the angel sort of goes, well, what am I going to say to you that's going to make sense? Uh, all right, well, try this on. The Holy Spirit will overshadow you. She's like, it works for me. Because how else do you explain that there is going to be a baby in the in the womb of a virgin. Very, very difficult to explain. It says that the, the Holy Spirit would overshadow her. At that, but it's another point in history that points to God's Son. At the point, it points to that divine origin. And it says that the Spirit, do you know that the Spirit of God, it actually guides us and it leads us into truth. It's part of the Holy Spirit's role to, to guide us into truth. In fact, in the passage we just read, it said that He's the Spirit of truth. The writer of Hebrews, Paul, he writes and says, it is impossible for God to lie. He says that these three things, Jesus' baptism, the Father was present, and then there was Jesus' birth, and then there was the Holy Spirit, and these three come together and they keep pointing back to the Son and they say, He is the way, He is the truth, He is the life. And this is the testimony that we're resting everything on, that God gave us eternal life. And in this life is His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son, by the way, does not have life. Why do I say this stuff to you? Because it's so important that you know why you believe. Otherwise, someone's going to come along in your life and going to talk you out of the promises of God. They will talk you out of what God has for you. They will talk you out of things because they don't understand it. And I'm suggesting to you that it's so important that you do not take the testimony of men over the testimony of God. If you want to know what the testimony of God is, it says, listen to the voice of God. He guides you into all truth. Listen to this. This is... This is great scripture that comes a few chapters earlier. John writes, but you, he's talking to them, but it's extended to you. He says, but you've been anointed by the Holy One and you have all knowledge. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. That's the testimony of men. It says, but the anointing that you've received from him abides in you and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. What he's really saying there is, there is something that happens inside your heart where God begins to speak to you and says, this stuff 
that we are talking about is true. Every person who's given their life to Jesus, everyone in the history of humanity has come to a place where they've listened to the voice of the Spirit of God and said, this is true. You've been anointed to discern truth from error. You've been anointed to know that. Now, at the time that this was written, they didn't have a Bible. Guess what you've got? So you don't just have the Spirit of God. You've actually got the Word of God. And when you start hearing stories and testimonies and ways and pathways to approach God and different gods and all the rest of it, I'm saying to you right now, you can actually begin to remove those things from your mind because the truth is, is that the Holy Spirit will lead you and guide you and confirm into you the stuff that you are actually reading in God's Word. Here's the cool part. You don't have to go to Bible college to understand this. This is the simplest of all truths. And the Holy Spirit actually comes into you and speaks to you about it. Do you know that Romans chapter 8 says that God's Spirit, it bears witness to our spirit. In other words, let me rephrase that so it's very easy to understand. God talks to you and you hear Him. He says stuff and you hear His voice. It's like this little radar that goes off inside of you and you're like, that's God. And then there's another radar that goes off and says, that's not God. I think part of the time in life, what we're trying to do, is it not true that we're just trying to, trying to train those radars to pick up those things? But when you lean into God and when you hear from Him, when you just know, you're discerning that truth from error. And here is the promise that all of this has sort of been centering around. It says, for everyone, it's for everyone, every single person. But not everyone actually gets this. There's only a certain type of person who gets access to this promise to overcome the world. It's for everyone, but actually only the people that are born of God will actually overcome the world. And when we say born of God, you know what we're referring to? We're talking about being born again. I remember in, in my workplace one time, uh, somebody found out that I was a Christian. Oh. And they said, are you one of those born again? I said, I'm not sure there's any other way. There is only one way. Every single person that gives their life to Jesus undergoes this spiritual rebirthing process. And this seems kind of complicated, but it's actually very, very simple. There was a man in the Bible. His name was Nicodemus. If you read what scholars say, they say that he was the teacher of Israel. He was the teacher of the law. And one night he came to Jesus in the shadows and in darkness because he was the teacher of Israel and he could not figure out how it was that Jesus was doing all these miracles. So he approaches him because he didn't want anyone else to know and he says to Jesus, how is it that you're doing these things? And Jesus says, anyone that wants to see the kingdom of God or see the kingdom of heaven must be born again. The theologically astute teacher of Israel replies with this, Do you mean that we need to go back into our mother's wombs and come out again? And Jesus is like, what are you talking about? 
That is weird and creepy. And he says, uh, hey, listen, you want to know about deep spiritual things, but you can't even understand what it means to be spiritually reborn. He says, how can I teach you anything if you can't understand the simplest of truths? So let me take you take this spiritually reborn process and make it very easy for you. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2 that we... You and me, when we're born, that we are dead in our trespasses. Now, all of, would you agree that you're alive? Okay, would you agree that you've been alive since you were actually born? So then how can you be dead? And this is what it means. He's saying that when it comes to your physical body, you're alive. But when it comes to your spirit, you're dead. And since dead people can't save themselves, they need someone else to do it. They need a savior. And that's where Jesus comes in. It says that Jesus comes and he brings you back to life. And he, he awakens your spirit. When he awakens your spirit, you are spiritually reborn. You become born again in that moment. And that's when that little radar that you've got inside of your heart that leans in to the voice of truth starts to go off. See, the thing about born-again people is that when you, when you look at someone on the outside, the reason my work colleagues ask me is that it's kind of hard to tell who's born again and who's not. And we could be sitting in this room here today, and some might be and some might not be. And if you're not, don't feel bad about it. In fact, so glad that you're here. How are we supposed to tell who's born again and who's not? I mean, if people wore a t-shirt, it might actually help you. But then again, if you find anyone wearing a t-shirt that says, I am born again, I would give them a wide berth because they are probably strange people. Who would buy a t-shirt like that? That's really weird, right? But apart from them just pointing it out, how would you know? Do you know what? John says there is a really easy way to know. See, if you don't know if you're born again, there's a really easy way to know. Do you know what it is? It's that you love God and you obey His commandments. He makes it that simple. That you love God and you obey Him. There's a lot of people that love God, but they don't obey Him. And what John says is that if, if you say that you love God, but you don't obey Him, you don't actually love Him. Because if you did, you'd obey Him. There are plenty of people being obedient, but they don't love God. We call them religious people. They're following religion. They're obedient to the system and the process, but they don't actually care for God at all. Actually, when it comes to this stuff, you've got to do two things. You've got to love God and obey Him. And John writes in this passage that we read, this is how we know. He literally says this. He says, this is how we know that, that, that we love God, that we love Him and we keep His commandments. See, if you love God and you try your best to obey, fully acknowledging that you are going to fail, but at least you're trying. If you love God and you're trying your absolute best to obey, it is the evidence of your life being changed and the certainty of the things that God has promised you. But see, if, you're, if, you're, if your life with God is actually just become about checkboxes, if it's just about pleasing Him because you have to, if it's just about getting before God because you know it's right, can I tell you, there is nothing real about that. There is nothing real about a relationship where a person gets up in the morning and reads their Bible and ticks a checklist so they can say, I did it. To who? Who are you saying that to? How many people do you know? And just look within inside yourself. And can I just encourage you tonight, 
be real with yourself about what I'm going to say right now. Do you even really look forward to reading the Word of God? Do you actually even really look forward to prayer time? Is that something that when you do, it's a relief that you've done it because you feel like you became a little bit more spiritual in that moment? It's like when you've done it, you can tick that box and say, thank God that is done and out of the way. And when you do it, you think, I've done it today. I can keep doing this tomorrow. And you're just trying to, you're following Bible reading plans because the truth is, you know what, you just, if you were to be really honest, and you wouldn't say this to anyone in your life, but if you were to be really honest, you actually really don't want to read the Bible. (laughs) You actually don't even look forward to that prayer time. You just do it because that's what Christians do. God says, man, I see your heart. You know, it's like, it's like being on a date with someone who doesn't want to be there with you. He's like, well, I don't really want to be here either. It's fake. It's not even real. And God is saying, you know what I really want from people? I just want real relationship. I just want it to be genuine. Do you know that God wants a genuine relationship with you more than you probably want it with Him? He absolutely loves you more than you can possibly dream or hope or imagine. And if you're just doing it to fill some religious responsibility, man, it's just... Do you know what it is? It's really religion. If you don't want to obey him, it's like you're doing it because you have to. It's like against your will. It's like, ah, it's just religion. Hey, years ago, I went to California and I worked as a lift operator. And uh, I remember one day we were living, we stayed at a village off the mountain. And one day the mountain was... So we had such a heavy dump of snow that all the roads were blocked and we could not get in. And so I was thinking, thank Jesus, because I would need a day off. Do you know what? If you're a lift operator and, and it's a heavy snow day, you got to dig out the lifts, right? So I'm like, I want to stay home. Anyway, some bright guy goes, hey, I know a back way. So he gets all of us international you know, people that are working on the mountain, we all pile into this little minibus and we start cruising up this back street. Man, he's tearing it up. He's driving so fast and I'm kind of freaked out, not just me, but everyone. And so we, some of us go to the front and we're like, hey, you should slow down because uh, I don't know if you realize, but you're getting the back out and we're on a mountain and it's icy. So if you could just turn things down a little bit, we would all really appreciate that. He said, yeah, yeah, yeah I got this, right? We came and we said, listen, if you start keep taking the corners the way that you do, we're probably going to have an accident. He's like, yeah, 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 I got this. Do you know, right as somebody said that, we went around the corner. He cut off the inside of the lane and then a car was headed straight for us. We jumped on the brakes. We slid to a stop. Couldn't believe that we didn't have an accident. But now we're in the narrowest part of the road and we got to back up. So we say to the guy, could you so gently and ever so slowly reverse? He says, I got this. You know what he does, right? He jumps on the gas. We start reversing backwards. And then he tries to apply the brakes. But he was going too fast, wasn't he? So now we're sliding backwards down a mountain. down, And and we are headed towards the back. Everyone is freaking out. Everyone's like, we're looking at each other going, we're going to slide off the back of this thing. And we are headed towards the edge. And he can't even steer. So we're at the mercy of that situation. We know what actually happened is... A snowplow had gone around the night before and built up such a hard embankment of snow that we actually punched a hole through that embankment. But since the snow was there, it just slowed us down enough so that only the back of the bus went over the edge of the mountain. 
Every single person on that bus freaked out. We all ran to the front. We're like, open the door. We all pile off the bus. Then we've all got to get around it because the back of the bus is off the edge and we got to push this thing back onto the road. Man, we were freaked out. Everyone was like going crazy. And I can't help but think that all of that trouble could have been avoided if we had have just obeyed the laws of the road and not driven too fast. And I can, those laws are there for a reason. They're designed to protect us just like God's laws. You see, when you understand the reason why God has said, you can do this, don't do that. You understand something. God didn't put that there so that He could be mean-spirited there. The stuff that He puts in place is there. It's designed to protect you. There's something about God's people. God's people, they don't just obey God because they have to. They obey God because they want to. They obey God because they actually love Him. And that's again what it says, for this is the love of God that we actually keep His commandments. When you have a relationship with God, it becomes self-evident. People can see it in you. Can I show you something really cool? Have a look at this. Paul writes a bunch of letters to churches in different regions. This is one of the letters that he wrote, just the beginning of it. He says, for this reason, this is Ephesians, the letter to the Ephesians. He says, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints. Here's the next letter to the Colossians. It says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love that you have for all the saints. Oh, that's funny. It says that there again. Third time lucky. It says, We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father, your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what I notice about those letters that Paul writes to communities of people that are following Jesus? is that faith and love go hand in hand. When you love God, you obey Him. The whole letter itself, it centers around being obedient to the two things that we said were most important. Jesus summarized them this way, that you should love God and love people. And when you love God, you love people. When you love God, you love other Christians. When you love God, you get over relational disputes with other Christians because you just are told to love Him. So you got to find a way to make that happen. And if you were here last week, we spent a whole message just on that one concept and idea. But here's the point that John is making. When you love God, get your relationships right with people. Get your relationships right with other Christians. I know that sometimes things didn't work out the way that you wanted them to. I know that sometimes people speak out when they should have had their mouth closed. But whatever situation you find yourself in, if you really love God, you got to do your best to find a way to actually make that right. Because faith and love go hand in hand when you begin to obey Jesus. You know, the truth is, is that genuine relationship with God is the thing that connects you to the promises of God. You can't get promises by going around Him. You just can't. It just doesn't work. And God's promise is directly related 
to your confession. God's promise for you, for eternal life, for overcoming the world, is directly related to your confession. But if your confession is just empty words and it doesn't mean anything, you're as far as you've ever been from those promises. Because you can be saying all the right things, but the truth is, if you don't mean it, it doesn't mean anything to Him. It's not about being religious. It's not about saying the right prayer to gain access to the good stuff of God and then going out and living your life. No, no, no. You've missed the whole point. This is what John is saying. If you're serious about God, if you're serious about following Him, there is a lifestyle that actually backs it up. You see, if you claim that you love God, you've got to back up your confession with obedience, obedience to what He says. Anybody that says, I love God, but has a life that completely disobeys God makes me think, I I don't know. I'm not so sure that you do love Him. Because if you did, and I'm not trying to condemn anyone here, I'm just saying what John is saying. I'm just repeating it in a different way so you understand. If you say you love God, but your lifestyle doesn't reflect anything that's godly, I don't think you love Him at all. I think you're saying words to be part of some club. I think you're becoming religious. I think if you say that you're obedient and you're following all the right things, you've got to back up your confession of obedience with love in your heart. Because if you're the kind of person that is following God's laws and following God's rules, you're a mean-spirited person. You don't actually love people. There's no grace around you at all. The way you treat people is just mean. Man, you're not being obedient at all. You're following religion and you've disconnected God from everything. And you are at that point as far as you could possibly be from the promises of God. You know why? Nothing you've said is real. I'm not trying to be hard. I know this is hard. This is, I told you, he's an Aussie. I told you, he's hard sometimes. He says hard things to hear and to understand. But one of the things I love about John is that, man, he's just so real. He's so real. Sometimes when God asks you to do stuff, it's actually against your will. Sometimes God's going to ask you to be obedient and you don't want to be obedient. You've got to. Sometimes God's going to ask you to love and you're not going to want to love because you kind of feel like that person doesn't deserve your love. But actually, if you're obedient, you'll do it because God's asked it of you. So let me give you a very humbling story. Years ago, when I first came to this church, uh, I wasn't on staff, you know, I was a Christian for a couple of years and uh, I got connected to a, to a group of people. But there was one person in this group that whenever I would say anything, they'd always shut me down. And we would sit in small groups and do share what's happened during our week. And everyone would share. They'd take five minutes, ten minutes. It would get to me. I'd be ten seconds in and they'd say, that's enough from you. And then we'd move on. It got so outrageous that other people would come to me and they said, why does that person always shut you down? I said, I have no idea. I couldn't figure it out. I didn't know what was going on. So anyway, one night, we are at a, I'm at a friend's house. And uh, it's so important to me that we watch the words that come out of our mouths. If you're on 
this team, if you're on an Activate Church team, one of the things that we are just absolute resolute about is our culture. We don't talk about people behind their back. We don't gossip. We don't do that. It's not done in this place. We protect people and we begin with trust. So let me tell you how I broke all of that in one night. One night. And I'm always careful of what I say. One night. This person's name came up. And I just needed a vent. And I did. And I said, let me tell you what I think of that person. Because they treated me this way. I felt completely justified with everything that I was saying. I said, this is what they do and this is what they say and this is how they treat me and that's what I think of them. And the truth is, I probably wasn't wrong, but I should have kept my mouth shut. So let me fast track you. Years and years and years down the track. And now the senior pastor of Activate Church and we lose our church building and we're stuck And it feels like the weight of the world is pressing in upon me. And I don't know how to solve this problem. I'm at the mercy of our situation. I've checked out every building in a six kilometer radius of Ringwood. There's no way that I can find anything that's going to be suitable to us. And God comes to me and He says, Hey, you know what you need to do? You need to go and make your relationship right with that person. And I said, what are you talking about? I said, I already forgave them in my heart. He said, no, I'm not asking you to forgive them. You need to go to that person and actually ask for forgiveness. I said, ask for forgiveness. Are you kidding me, God? Are you serious? Do you know what they said to me? Do you know how they treated me? Do you know how they shut me down? Do you know how they wouldn't listen to me? Do you know how alienated they made me feel? Do you know how excluded I felt when I was just in that person's company? And you want me to go and say sorry sorry for what he said do you remember that one night where you said stuff I said are you serious I'm always so careful of what I say one night I mean people say stuff all the time you're coming to me about one time that I said something I shouldn't have said serious one time he says yep I said, what do you want me to do? He said, go call them up and meet with them and ask them for forgiveness. I said, oh my gosh, this is so unfair, God. He said, well, you better do it. You know, I don't know, for whatever reason, I got it inside my heart that if I didn't say sorry, if I didn't ask for forgiveness, that we were never going to find the building. I just had that in my mind. I thought, I better say something or we could be stuck for a while. So I called up that person. And I said, I hadn't spoken to them for a long time, but we're good friends now, it's fine. And I called it that person and I said, hey, can we meet up for a coffee? And she says to me, what do you want to meet about? I said, uh, I'd rather just talk to you when I'm looking at you. Can we just have coffee and I'll tell you then? In my heart, I'm going, you are such a weirdo. What are you saying to this person? But they, what are they going to think? What do they think you're going to do? Like, this is weird. I know I'm weird. At least I face facts. I said, all right. They said, fine, we'll meet. So we booked that meeting in next week. So next week we meet up and we're sitting there and we're getting along fine because to be honest, I'd moved so far past this situation. It was not a problem for me. And we're sitting there and I said to them, the reason I have asked you here today is because I need to apologize to you 
And I'm here today to ask for your forgiveness. So when you're going to make an apology, you do it right and you do a good job. And I said to this person, you don't need to own anything. This is completely my problem. This is completely my fault. I'm going to give you some context here. You made me feel like this, but that's not what I'm asking you to own. Here is my apology. One night, I said something about you that I shouldn't have said. And God has pressed it upon me to come to you at this point and ask for forgiveness. And I'm sorry. And I'm asking you, would you please forgive me? They looked at me and they said, of course. They said, can I tell you what was going on in my life at that stage of my journey? I felt pressure from all sides. I had the weight of the world on my shoulders and I just acted some ways that I shouldn't have acted. I said, that's fine. It's the weirdest conversation. We were both fine, but God wouldn't let me go about it. Here's the cool part. The week that I asked for forgiveness from that person was the week that we found this building. The very week I had searched everywhere for a building, months we couldn't find anything. The week that I am obedient because I love God and I want to please Him. The week that I'm obedient to Him, we find this building and we begin a process that finds us in this place tonight. You know what's even crazier? The person that I asked for forgiveness from is related by blood to the person that owns this building. I could not believe it. I can't help but think where we would be if I'd have not said that, if I had not have been obedient. John's call to us is to be real. John's call to us, if you're a Christian and you say you follow Jesus and you love God, be obedient in everything that He asks of you. It may feel like the weight of the world is upon your shoulders, but I just wonder how much of that weight, how much of that pressure could be removed if you actually lived a life of complete obedience. I wonder what mountains would begin to shift in your life. I wonder what things would be thrown into the ocean if you were obedient out of your love towards God and you just decided, you know what? I'm going to get my relationships right. You know what? I'm going to forgive some people that need to be forgiven. You know what? I'm going to be obedient and ask for forgiveness because I should. I wonder what mountains in your life would begin to shift and move. I wonder what would begin to open up to you. John is calling us to a life of radical obedience. He says, if you want to be this person, then you've got to obey and love. You can't do one without the other. They come as a package deal. Walk in the light. Live a life of love. Go after God and be real with it. Don't treat God like some kind of checklist. We trust you enjoyed this week's message. For any more information about Activate Church, check out our website, www.activatechurch.com or download our app online and have a great week.